From Radio Vermont, it's the Dave Graham Show on WDEV. It's your show about the people, places, and the issues that matter the most to you. Now here's your host, Dave Graham. Good morning, Vermont. It is Friday, October the 2nd, uh, 2020, and uh, we have a good show lined up for you today. We're going to be speaking first off with uh, Congressman Peter Welch, uh, Vermont's lone representative in the U.S. House. He's going to fill us in on the latest uh, negotiations in the House uh, and elsewhere in government over this uh, new uh, coronavirus relief package that Congress has been uh, sort of working on for a number of months now, and uh, we'll uh, see what develops there. In the uh, second half hour, we're going to visit with um, a couple of folks from the um, Central Vermont Home Health and Hospice. Uh, They are going to be talking with us about uh, big changes to what had been their annual main annual fundraiser, biggest annual fundraiser. Um, Obviously, uh, have to change things up due to the coronavirus crisis, and uh, and then we're also going to be talking with them about their uh, telehealth initiatives. A lot of uh, healthcare, of course, these days is being delivered by uh, computers and telephones and all that stuff because uh, folks are trying to cut down on face-to-face contact, including in healthcare delivery. And uh, we'll be speaking with uh, the uh, CVHH and H folks about that as well in the second half hour. Uh, in the uh, latter, latter hour of the program this morning, uh, we were going to be talking with uh, Carol Dunn of Northern Stage uh, Theater based in White River Junction. They actually got some really uh, pretty cool news recently where uh, the National Theater Group had designated them as one of the first uh, theaters to be able to reopen with union actors um, and um, they, uh, we're going to put that off, actually, though, by a week. Uh, we're going to try to catch up with Carol Dunn next week. Um, instead, we're going to be talking with Matt Dickinson, political science professor at Middlebury College, regular guest on the Dave Graham Show. Uh, we're going to bring Matt in today to talk about uh, what it means to see the uh, president of the United States uh, come down or test positive uh, for the uh, coronavirus um, and uh, several other people in his circle in the president's uh, right around the White House. Also, uh, Hope Hicks, uh, top aide, very close aide to the president, uh, who was announced yesterday, had been diagnosed with the coronavirus. Uh, this is obviously huge breaking news, and so we thought it was worthwhile to uh, change it up a little bit on the Dave Graham Show here today and get a little discussion going about what all of this means. And uh, first, uh, let's start out with uh, Congressman Peter Walsh. I believe he is on the phone this morning. Appreciate uh, you joining us, Congressman. Good morning. Good morning, Dave. And uh, let's start first off. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts about this news that broke overnight that uh, President and uh, Melania Trump both have tested positive for the coronavirus. Well, I, w- I worry for them and obviously uh, wish them a speedy recovery. Let's hope that it's a mild, mild case for, for each of them and that they, uh, uh, they don't get significant symptoms and get better really quickly. That's my hope. Yeah, um, one of the things that that uh, I've been hoping for, I suspect you have as well, and many, many other Americans, is just, please, can we have sort of a normal election this year? <laughs> and well, and that has been, yeah, that's been been in doubt, and, and this doesn't help, does it? Well, it's just an incredible year. None of us could have predicted it. I mean, obviously, just on a personal level, uh, I wish the president and the first lady well. Uh, six million or more uh, Americans have uh, we've had so many cases, and what this shows is that no matter who you are, uh, the virus uh, can work its will. Uh, and then 
since he is the president, it really does create a lot of anxiety about what the implications are uh, politically and economically. Uh, I think that uh, that'll settle down. Uh, but the bottom line here is uh, the president and the first lady have contracted uh, coronavirus, and I believe that every American wishes them well. Yeah, um, I, I also think it's worth noting for folks that, uh, and I, I actually reached out to the Vermont Health Department today, unable to track down somebody so far from there to appear on the program this morning, but I think the message, uh, there needs to be a message about public health here as well, because um, a lot of what has been going on with uh, the, the Trump's uh, inner circle in the White House and in the campaign um They've not been doing very well in terms of uh, following the best advice from public health officials about wearing masks and about maintaining the social distancing, about, uh, you know, if you're going to have any kind of a crowd, try to do things right. outside as opposed to inside. Uh, we can go down a list and sort of tick things off that are, that are suggested or requested or, uh, you know, in some cases uh, ordered by governors and so on. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, here's this, here this president three days ago was on national TV on the debate, basically mocking vice, former Vice President Joe Biden for wearing a mask yeah. too much. Uh, what, what should people take from all that end of it? Well, you know, I think there's two things, and it makes it difficult at this moment to some extent to talk about the public health, but we need to, as you are uh, pointing out. Number one is that anybody who gets COVID, uh, we want them to get better, and no matter how they got it. And mm-hmm. while the point you made about the president and you know his resistance to mask and so on is true, there are lots of everyday people that really have very little choice, frontline workers, that take as many precautions as they can and they still get the illness. So yeah. when a person gets it, um, I really don't want to necessarily talk about their uh, it, 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 just about them uh, because there's so many, so many Americans, and including Vermonters, who as I say, took all the precautions they could and got the virus because it'll work its will. But right. uh, where you're the president, you have public responsibility, as does our governor, uh, as do our public health officials. It does matter uh, the procedures we take. You know, we're pretty proud in Vermont that we have the lowest infection rate in the country, and I think it reflects, uh, you know, Governor Scott's done a good job on this. You've got to give him credit. Uh, he took it seriously, followed the protocols he's been wearing a mask since march uh mm-hmm. and i think our citizens are trusting of our public health officials in the guidance so you're seeing a combination of public health and gubernatorial leadership in vermont but you're also seeing citizens who have some degree of trust and understand that yes it's inconvenient <clears throat> to wear a mask and maybe i don't particularly want to but if i can do that then it's going to help me from help stopping the spread and i can do my part uh, I will. So there's a combination of leadership and civic engagement. And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, it's really important to follow the public health guidelines. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, of course, I mean, the president could have from the beginning sort of talked up wearing a mask as an act of patriotism almost because we're, you know, we're all in this together trying to protect other Americans and so on and so forth. Um, you know, clearly hasn't taken that path, but uh, you know, you sort of imagine if he had, it, I think it would have made a huge difference because. You well, know, you know, I, Dave, here's the reality. Okay, yeah. the United States has four percent 
of the world's population, and we have about mm-hmm. 24% of the cases and about 24% of the deaths. So yep. other countries have taken a much more uh, uh, energetic approach to containing the virus, and they've had success. You know, South Korea has done extremely well. Their first case was on the same day as our first case back in January, mm-hmm. and they've had n- minuscule deaths and minuscule disruption. They didn't open up. And uh, it takes a public health response that's led uh, by our top officials, obviously, including the president. So the record we have in this country was not inevitable. Uh, that's true. And, you know, the administration's response to COVID uh, has really been scattered and uh, uh, it, it just didn't take seriously uh, the public health guidance that was put in place. And by the way, interestingly enough, we've developed in this country a pandemic response under President Bush. That's who really established a playbook and all the things that had to be done and everything from what's the communication uh, uh, approach, uh, what are the testing, tracing, quarantining approach, the steps mm-hmm. that we have to take. They're in a book that was put together by the Bush administration and provided solid guidance that, unfortunately, at the national level, we haven't followed. But in states uh, like Vermont, like Massachusetts, like New York, uh, we have in New Hampshire. So you've had a lot of leadership by governors, both Republican and Democrat, who essentially uh, took the guidance that was what was out there to say, what do you do in a pandemic? Yeah. Well, the uh, clearly the guidance has been followed more closely in Vermont, and you can see it in the numbers. Of, I did a little arithmetic a week or two ago and <clears throat> determined that uh, if the United States had the same per capita death rate, uh, you know, deaths per population as uh, Vermont does, the United States would have had about, at that point, about 30,000 coronavirus deaths to date, um, as opposed to the, the nearly 200,000 coronavirus deaths that it has had. Uh, well, you know, I'm, glad I, you, I'm glad you did that because, in fact, the steps we take matter. They really do. And, yeah. you know, the social distancing, the mask wearing, the washing your hands, all the things that our public health officials uh, have been talking about, the government talking about, they really, really matter. And, by the way, we all know that to get our economy back to normal, we have to get on top of the virus first. You know, so it, it's really in our self interest, not only our, our personal health, the well-being of people we love, uh, but the, getting our economy back together. And, you know, it's so tough. You know, when I was coming down to, I'm in Washington now, and when I was coming, getting on the plane, we can't fly on American. There used to be three flights a day, and they don't have any to Washington. So there's one mm-hmm. on United. And I met a new flight attendant, and she was telling me that because the aid is drying up, uh, you know, we're trying to pass that. Uh, she's going from 40 hours a week to 15 hours a week and is looking for two uh, part-time jobs to help supplement her income. So, you know, we've got to get aid back because the economic pain is still there. And uh, we've got to get on top of the virus because that's the best way we can all return to normal. Uh, and that's we've got to stay on this. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of responding to the, un- the unemployment situation and the to uh, just the whole economic uh, calamity that has been occurring this year, be, you know, as in, in response to the coronavirus, I certainly wanted to check in with you about 
<clears throat> progress or lack thereof on this uh, sort of round two of the coronavirus economic stimulus coming, we hope, from the federal government. What is going on down there? Well, there's a there's a deadlock, and it's really uh, we've got to get past it. I mean, what has happened, the quick history, is the first aid bill, the CARES package, was negotiated in a week between uh, Speaker Pelosi and uh, uh, Senator McConnell. It was extraordinary. That was essential. It provided that $1,200 check the unemployment that helped uh, in Vermont independent contractors uh, uh, and, and self-employed people who otherwise would never have gotten any unemployment. Uh, gave, it provided some money to the state of Vermont to help uh, meet some the budgetary shortfalls and COVID expenses that helped our hospitals. But that's run out, and the mm-hmm. pain is still there. COVID's here. And when we passed that, I think there was hope that we would be returning to normal now. Well, we're not in the aid we need. And the House passed a second bill uh, about five months ago, and it's essentially uh, sitting on, <coughs> pardon me, Senator McConnell's desk. <coughs> I'm sorry. But uh, the negotiations are essentially between the House and President Trump. And we passed another aid bill last night where we brought the price tag down from $3.2 trillion to $2.2 trillion. And by the way, I think we need that. Uh, and it's an effort on our part to jumpstart the negotiations and indicate that we're willing to come down on the number. But mm-hmm. my uh, concern here is that what we're talking about is not a Democratic or Republican priority. Uh, for a person who's losing her airline job, whether they live in Vermont or Oklahoma, for a person who's unemployed and no longer has uh, benefits, whether they're in a red state or a blue state, for our hospitals that have really been hammered, uh, it doesn't matter where they are or the, who their people support in the presidential race. And, of course, state and local budgets uh, have been hammered as well, and we need assistance there. So the need that we're trying to address is universal. It's not about favoring Republicans or Democrats, either on their policies or where they live. Uh, unemployed is unemployed, and people need to be able to pay the rent. So... I hope that uh, with the action of the House, it'll be an incentive for uh, the president to come to the table. Now, everything gets complicated because he, of course, has to quarantine. But I saw in the announcement that he will continue to be fully engaged in his job. And if he doesn't develop significant symptoms, obviously, he'll be able to do that. But uh, uh, the most urgent thing we can do is is pass some aid. And by the way, one of the other provisions in there uh, would allow Vermont an additional year to expend the money that was provided to the state in the CARES package. Because in that CARES package, there was a deadline that the money had to be spent by December 31st. Well, it turns out that would have been wasteful. Uh, And as Governor Scott is saying, and I support this, if we give extra time for the expenditure on things like the housing programs, where you can't do the housing in you know, months, that's a longer project, and food nutrition and things that are essential, that will give a big boost to Vermont. So, you know, a couple of things I've been pushing here is to try to take some of these things where there should be, I would hope, bipartisan agreement, like let the states have more time to use the money already allocated. And, you know, I'm in favor of doing whatever we can on a practical level to help our states, our small businesses, and our individuals. 
We have had your Republican opponent on as a guest, uh, Miriam Berry. I know you've had a debate or two with her now, and uh, uh, we can uh, talk more about the campaign uh, perhaps on, on another show. I want to stay focused on this one and sort of actually the actual uh, uh, current news and your your role more as a, an, an incumbent and somebody who's there uh, as opposed to yeah. a candidate right now. I think and 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 I did I did want to. Uh, continue to this discussion a little bit about the uh, relief package because one of the features that I think a lot of people have watched given our continuously you know way higher than normal unemployment rate in the country is um, the, uh, the the benefit which actually has been a huge boon to people uh, especially in the earlier months when I think it was six hundred dollars a week that people were getting in addition to their state unemployment if they were laid off in the midst of this coronavirus uh, shutdown of so much of our economy. Uh, is any of that going to be continued or restored, or where does all that stand? Well, in the House passed bill, it is restored. It would continue. And most of the economists say that the continuation of unemployment uh, benefits when you have high unemployment is absolutely essential uh, to a quicker recovery. The other thing, there's two other things they always cite that's absolutely essential. One is nutrition assistance. Uh, there is rising hunger in our country and in Vermont, and the nutrition assistance that's been, that we've provided has enabled uh, Vermont organizations uh, in our schools uh, to help feed Vermonters. And we saw uh, how much incredible activity there was when the Vermont National Guard was dispensing meals at these small uh, regional airports. And I went up to Lindenville when they were doing it, and the lines were over a mile long. So yeah. there's unemployment, there's nutrition. And then the third thing that's really essential is aid to state and local government. You know, again, the aspect that, of this that I encourage my Republican colleagues uh, to think about is how those things they need in their states and in their districts as much as we need it in Vermont. But, you know, what's happened here with our state budget is that revenues, tax revenues, have collapsed. Municipal budgets uh, are under enormous pressure as well. So we've got to provide some assistance in those three areas, especially uh, the, the payroll protection plan uh, has been a lifeline for uh, many of our small businesses. And, you know, my biggest apprehension uh, is that when, if and when we were going to get to the other side of COVID, that'll happen at some point. But we don't want to leave behind a hollowed-out uh, community all around the state where we don't have those local restaurants. We don't have those performance venues. Uh, we don't have those nonprofits that are doing so much. You know, you mentioned uh, what's going on in White River. Well, we've got to help them get through this so that they're going to be there uh, on the other side of COVID. And, you know, it, 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 the, uh, the reality is, that this is a once-in-a-century calamity with COVID. Yep. And we've got to respond. And the only governmental entity that has the fiscal capacity and flexibility to step up and help, help our states, help our individuals, the $1,200 check on employment, help our, uh, 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 help our communities, is the federal government. And it is existential economically that we keep people afloat uh so that's why i we're here we voted on it yesterday and and it's got to be an agreement where the president is willing uh to say he'll 
support it and sign it. And uh, he's the one, in, he's really in the driver's seat at this point, President Trump. Well, of course, the Senate and uh, under Majority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell obviously has to concur as well. If the president gives the signal, will they? Senator McConnell said he would. You know, he's basically opted out of the negotiations, and he's got a split Republican conference. There's about 20 members of the Senate that have basically said they don't want to do any more aid. And mm-hmm. there's uh, many others, particularly ones in tough re-election fights, who really want to do aid. And McConnell can't get agreement among the Republican conference. So what he has said is that if President Trump agrees to a plan, he will put it on the floor for a vote. So the key person here is the president of the United States. He has immense amount of power because without his signature, uh, we're not going to get anything passed. Uh, and if he signs, and, and, and we, that, I mean, that's that's the reality of it. So we need the president. One of the uh, table here. Just a, a couple of minutes to go here, and I, want, I did want to give a moment to this uh, criticism that we heard on the unemployment front that in some instances people who were getting that federal $600 a week bump uh, in their unemployment were actually ended up making more money than they had been while they were working, creating a big disincentive to getting back to work. Um, is that is is that being is the thing being tweaked to try to address that, or where are we on that? Well, I. I I've heard the same from Vermont employers, and I think that is an issue where some folks would, in fact, do better if they get both state and that federal $600 bump. Uh, mm-hmm. And it is that's why I made a proposal that is joined by many of uh, my colleagues, including Republicans, where essentially instead of having it go through the state unemployment, where if you're working at uh, a, a place, uh, the money would go through the employer, pay your wages at the same rate that you were receiving before that's something that i think actually would deal with that so there's yeah some, uh there's some credibility to that but the other side of it is that uh a lot of our businesses have benefited by the fact that people are able to pay their rent they're able to continue buying their groceries uh they're able to keep uh body and soul together so that's those are important things you know, they hey, are, uh, cu- and it's, it's important go ahead I was just going to say, well, we are about out of time, unfortunately, but uh, as, as always, uh, Congressman Peter Welch, I really appreciate you coming on the air with us this morning. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank we'll you. talk soon. Hey, uh, let's go to some bottom of the hour CBS News, and uh, we're going to be talking to folks from Central Vermont Home Health and Hospice in just a couple minutes. Exciting things are happening in Warren Village. The Pitcher Inn and Warren Store are under new management. Upgrades and improvements are in the works, maintaining the ambiance and character while breathing new energy and resources into these iconic properties. We are open while practicing all CDC protocols. Come for lunch at our Rock and Deli and see for yourself what the buzz is all about. Both businesses are hiring, especially seeking fine dining room staff and sales associates for our boutique. Still fun, funky, and friendly, but better than ever. Open daily on Main Street, Warren Village. It's the Dave Graham Show on WDEV FM and AM. We're back, and I uh, want to introduce my uh, two guests we have on for our second segment of the program this Friday morning, October the 2nd. Uh, we're going to be speaking with two people from Central Vermont Home Health and Hospice. We have... Um, Emily McKenna, she is communications and marketing uh, coordinator with the uh, 
with the uh, CVH H&H, and we also are going to be speaking with uh, Amy Bissett, who is a registered nurse and uh, manager of telehealth at the uh, at the home health agency. And um, we wanted to start with, uh, well, welcome you both to our air. I really appreciate you joining me this morning. Howdy. How are you? Good morning. Thank you. I'm doing well. I wanted to check in with you first, Emily, if I could, and find out a little bit about. Uh, I see that um, you you normally in normal years, which this is far from a normal year, uh, have a an annual fundraisers uh, fundraiser um, uh, called uh, Seasons for Life. That is not happening this year, I guess. And you have some no. uh, this some ways of uh, trying to work around that, or what's going on there? Yeah, yeah. Well, Seasons of Life is our annual uh, fashion show, dinner, and auction, and it's our biggest fundraiser, our annual fundraiser in terms of proceeds and just kind of in terms of the caliber of the event. Um, last year was our 20th anniversary. This year is the 21st anniversary of Seasons of Life. But, um, you know, many of your listeners probably have attended. It's a, it's in, we have 200 or more people at the Capitol Plaza. There's a fashion show. There's a dinner, a live auction. It's just a great mm-hmm. in-person event. And obviously because of the pandemic, um, it was not feasible. So yeah. uh, we decided to cancel the in-person event, but still, you know, give people an opportunity to support us. So... Um, we decided to host a telehealth fundraiser um, to raise funds and awareness for our telehealth program. Hmm. And uh, tell me about that. When does it happen? What does it involve? Yeah. So um, I think that our, I think the letters to the community went out last week in the mail. Um, Mm -hmm. So our director of development and members of her team put a letter together and sent it out and kind of explained that we had to cancel the event. Um, and we've been, you know, promoting it. Uh, we've got commercials and we've got content and kind of information on our website. Um, but I think the development team is going to be doing a lot of the legwork to reach out to sponsors who have supported the fashion show in the past um, yeah. to see if they'd like to support the campaign. Um, but we are also hosting an online auction at the end of October and into November. And I just want to plug a couple of the packages that we're going to have available. So um, some of the fashion show sponsors who have, uh, you know, dressed the models on the runway, they Mm are giving us gift cards. And I think we have $1,000 worth of gift cards at local local vendors for a shopping spree for someone. Um, Wow. And yeah, so that will be one of the auction, one of the auction items. And then the second cool one, um, there's a local... Uh, local writer, Archer Mayer, and he will write the name of the winning bidder into his next novel. So that's <laughs> one of the other packages, which is really cool. So yeah. um, those, are, those are just two of the items, and I know our development team is working on, um, you know, getting more items, and we'll have information on our Facebook page um, and website when that when that goes live. Wow, so you can either uh, really have a nice uh, boost your wardrobe with that. Uh, yeah, or the, be uh, memorialized in literature. Or be memorialized in a, in a novel. That's <laughs> yeah. Either one of those is, uh, would be quite a that's treat, so cool. I think, for a lot yeah. of people. So that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, and, and, the, and the telehealth events, um, are there particular, particular dates you're doing this or what? Uh, um, I don't know when the – so the campaign is ongoing in October and November. Our mm-hmm. goal, our, our minimal goal is to meet 
um, the, to raise $40,000. But I'm, I'm, I've talked to our development director yesterday, and I'm pretty sure we're going to exceed that. I think people are wow. excited to support um, Seasons of Life and the telehealth campaign. Um, mm-hmm. And the online auction will go live in October at the end of the month. So I would just say, you know, if you're interested, we'll definitely be reaching out but um, to check our Facebook page. Um, and I will, I want to say quickly, just one piece about why we selected, you know, telehealth as the focus of this campaign. Um, and, you know, Amy and I can both talk about why it's such an amazing program, but the Medicare, who um, is one of the insurance providers that, that reimburses us for providing care, doesn't mm-hmm. reimburse home health agencies um, for providing telehealth services. Oh. And the majority of people who are enrolled in our telehealth program have Medicare as their primary insurance provider. So Makes sense. Um, right. So as you know, you know, we are a mission-driven organization, and we're going to provide care regardless of of someone's ability to pay. So it just made a lot of sense to try and, you know, try to raise funds for this program, which is growing, and there's so much opportunity to expand it so we can do that um, at less of a, less of a loss. Boy, I would think there'd be somebody out there uh, lobbying pretty hard in Congress and maybe in state legislatures as well to, uh, well, since Medicare is mainly a federal program, it would be Congress, but uh, uh, pushing to try to have telehealth included in Medicare coverage, uh, um, I mean, it, it just, it's sort of a coming thing in many respects. Also, I would imagine that in the long run, um, there are reasons for which it might even be a more economical delivery model, right? I think it. I think it is a more economical delivery model for for kind of not just us, but for a number of different providers. And it's Medicare does reimburse um, for the service when it's uh, like a physician in a medical group practice, but mm-hmm. they haven't. Okay. They haven't uh, yet. So it's not. It's not kind of blanket no reimbursement. But when it's home health agencies who are providing the care, um, the telehealth care, they don't reimburse us yet. And. Um, I think they recognize the value of the program, certainly, but, um, you know, they haven't caught up yet, and we, right. we're we just, we're, we're full steam ahead with it, and so that's partly why we're having this um, this campaign. And I would gather, well, let's, let, let's bring Amy into the conversation. Amy Bissett is a telehealth uh, manager at CVHH and H, also a registered nurse, uh, and Amy, um, I, you know, I've, I've actually had some interesting conversations over the past few months. Every now and then, I check in with folks uh, involved in Vermont's uh, court system uh, and uh, finding out how they're sort of coping. And one of the things they, they've told me repeatedly is that um, there was talk earlier on before the pandemic, and not just talk, but actually some initial experimentation and stuff with trying to bring technology to bear uh, into uh, court proceedings and so on, maybe do some hearings online and and so on and so forth. But but uh, the pandemic has really sort of um, uh, put the pedal to the metal on a lot of this stuff and has had has forced uh, the court, the court system in their case to uh, to suddenly go from you know stipping, sticking the toe in the water to diving in. Uh, have you said, have you had a similar experience in home health? We have. When the pandemic hit, um, really back in February, we were forced into into changing our mode of providing care. Um, Central Vermont Home Health and Hospice. We've had the telemonitors in place for about eleven years, but there really hasn't 
been a real big need, so to speak, you know, to, to move it forward at a path, at a fast pace. Um, but with the onset of the pandemic, um, we were able to, and, and luckily we did have the monitors in place already. And so we were able to very quickly switch from, from the nurses doing, doing in-home visits to utilizing more of the virtual visits through the use of the, of the monitors and other applications like Zoom or DoxyMe. Mm-hmm. can provide care that way. So, yep. yeah, so it, it's, been, it's been wonderful. It's been a wonderful transition. Um, and, you know, we're seeing a high utilization right now of our monitors out in the field. So it's been exciting. Now, uh, I would gather that, um, I mean, I'll, I'll also ask the devil's advocate question here, which is um, in, in many cases uh, the, there's intent, immense value in having, uh, you know, a nurse or someone, a professional, go into the home of one of your patients and actually look around and and uh, look mm-hmm. at the patient and and sort of get eyes on hands on that kind of stuff that is harder to do from uh, from you know basically a Zoom meeting or, a, or another type of computer sure. meeting. Um, how, how much how much does that matter? Uh, would it make sense maybe to do you know a once a month uh, actual physical visit and 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 then weekly televisits, or uh, how does that all play out? Mm-hmm. Well, we so telemedicine, we are used as another discipline with the home health team. So we are in place along with the nurses who actually go into the home. Mm-hmm. So we really we work in concert um, with the other clinicians, and we partner with the patients in their home to provide this care. Um, we are able, people are surprised at how much we are able to really assess and care for the people through through a video conference with them. Um, I yep. had one situation about a month ago or so where um, a son phoned up the agency and he was concerned about his mom and his mom did have tele, a telemonitor in her home. So I was able mm-hmm. to do a virtual visit and the tablets, they're about the size of an iPad and he was able to hold the iPad um, so I could see his mom and have a conversation with her. I could see that she was short of breath. He was able to show me her legs and depress on her legs and show me that she really had some increased edema. We were able to get her in the cardiology that day, and I really believe hmm. we saved her from having to go to the hospital. Wow. That's a success story. That's, uh, uh, that is. And, yeah, and... and um, uh, and, and I guess that, that is, so, so basically you can do a, a, a video pretty, uh, pretty d- detailed and intensive, uh, you know, show me the gout on your elbow or, or the edema on your legs or whatever. Uh, <laughs> exactly. and, and, uh, and, and that's, and that's, um, that is, uh, has got to be really valuable, especially when you have, you know, a, a developing condition that you might otherwise not have caught if you didn't have that opportunity to, look at it even virtually exactly and you know with again with this pandemic there's a lot of people who really don't want to drive and go into the physician's office um, yeah, yeah. you know for fear of of what they might what they might catch what they might be exposed to so with this with the telemonitor in the home we are able to have them check their blood pressure weigh themselves check their oxygen level all that data is transmitted to this tablet in the home and then it's transmitted to us and so the patient is able to do all these things from the comfort of their home. They don't even have to get dressed. I mean, they can just wake up, check their blood pressure, and send it to us. 
Um, we're able right. to really keep an eye on all this data and look for those small changes that might mean that they are heading into an exacerbation of their disease and, you know, and catch it before, again, before they do have to be hospitalized. Yeah, that, that is, uh, that's a real benefit. And, and, and I, I also imagine that, uh, for your staff, your nurses who, uh, you know, in years past have, uh, just been <laughs> driving hinter and yon in all kinds of weather all over, uh, all over your service, your service territory, you know, oftentimes on, on uh, the dirt roads way out in, you know, Cabot and Worcester mm-hmm. and et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. the, um, uh, are you saving on mileage? I don't, I don't, yeah. this, is, this is Emily. Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely saving and mileage for those, those last minute visits that, like, that would need to happen. Um, mm-hmm. our nurses are still, they're still driving, they're still driving and they're seeing the care. And I think it, it, it's a really great complement to the in-person care that's being provided. So it just mm-hmm. gives us that extra opportunity to connect with someone and to put eyes on if we're using the video visit functionality. Um, I, I think one of the other cool things about the telemonitor is that they come uploaded, the devices come uploaded with uh, edi- like educational videos about different conditions. Um, it probably, so the person is able to get to understand their condition a little better. Um, and, you know, when we install the telemonitor with the person, we, we train them on how to use it and we connect them with Amy almost immediately so they know um, there's this person on the other end of it. Uh, it's not just it's not just the iPad. There's a you know Amy is yeah. there for them if they need it, which is important, I think. Right. Well, I, I know a lot of older folks in particular are um, <clears throat> still uh, pretty. Uh, I mean, I have family members who wouldn't. Uh, they're not on the internet. They're not. Uh, they're yeah. just not into that whole scene. So it's it's sort of a, it's it, interesting. Still generational divide. They're not. Some, I, I I must say some older folks are really. Really, right up to it, but uh, others just Super haven't. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I have to say, though, we have you know, being in home health, the majority of our population is older, and mm-hmm. I have yet to meet any individual who hasn't been able to use this device. It is so user friendly. Um, I've had people who who like to video with me every day. People who you never would think would be able to use this technology, and they're able to do it. It's it's been very interesting. That, that is interesting, I and mean, maybe maybe that's could be, who knows, their introduction to uh, to uh, internet technology, and you know, next thing you know, they're on Facebook with their grandkids <laughs> or whatever. Exactly. So there we go. <laughs> when we hope this will happen sometime sooner rather than later, but eventually, we think this pandemic is going to wane, and that uh, things will start to. Uh, uh, sort of level off to some maybe new normal. And I'm wondering if uh, you will uh, look back on this five years from now and notice that in uh, 2021 you were using a lot more telehealth than you were in 2019. As in, will this become, become part? Uh, <laughs> maybe I didn't explain <laughs> that very well, but is this going to become part of the new normal, uh, sort of a greater reliance on telehealth going into the future, even after the pandemic? Um, yes, we believe wholeheartedly that it will. Um, you know, the, one of the reasons that we that we believe so passionately in telemonitoring is that we really do believe that it keeps people home, safe, and out of the hospital. Um, telemonitoring can really be used for a number of different people with different conditions, but we primarily mm-hmm. use it for people with 
heart heart conditions, um, hypertension, CHF, um, if they have any respiratory issues like COPD. Those are the people that we see tend to go to the doctor a lot and, you know, unfortunately tend to be hospitalized a lot. Um, so we really do think that by having them check their vital signs and by partnering with the patient, again, in the home, they have certain questions that they have to answer that are disease-specific um, that will help us to look for those small little warning signs, little changes that, again, might indicate that, that they're getting a little worse. So, you know, and, unfortunately, and those I, diseases are not going to go away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not, and I think also the the... The desire to want to stay at home, especially as we see kind of shifts in our demographic, in the demographics of our population, people want to be at home. You know, I think no one wants to go to the emergency room or go to the hospital. And I think partly what the pandemic has shown us is that there are lots of different opportunities to use telehealth uh, for people. So I know that our maternal and child health team uh, used it to support women who were pregnant. Um, and who had just had a baby after they got home from the hospital with lactation support and kind of other other care needs. And our rehab therapy team, our PTs, our OTs, and our speech and language pathologists could use the video visit functionality to, uh, to, to provide visits, uh, fully remote visits, and also to provide check-ins in between visits. So um, I think, and, and, you know, the technology is really expanding uh, in terms of what can connect to the telemonitor and what we can do remotely. So there's never going to be a replacement for the hands-on in-person care, but I think this will be used to provide a lot more and more robust uh, complementary and supplemental care um, for people. And, um, you know, we were talking a little bit ago about the uh, nurses driving out on the the rural dirt roads and so on. Yep. These, pla- these places uh, tend to be often uh, the last to be served by uh, strong broad- broadband access, and I'm wondering, obviously, telehealth uh, requires a good a good Internet connection, right? Um, um, uh, are you running into that this is a limitation uh, these days, and, and uh, is this a more impetus for, for uh, the state or local communities to build out broadband? Yeah, um, we certainly are in favor of broadband across the state. Um, Fortunately, the company that, that we have used to provide the monitors is called HRS, Health Recovery Solutions. And these mm-hmm. tablets come with a Verizon SIM card. So it's just like having a, having a cell phone. Um, what we have found is that most places do have a Verizon signal. So we are able to place a tablet in the home, even if the person doesn't have any, any Wi-Fi or broadband. Um, we also have a tablet um, with an AT&T card in it that we are using to see in those areas that don't have a Verizon signal, can we still reach them using AT&T? So yeah. Are there, is there, use them. Right. I mean, is there a percentage that uh, where, where they just don't have good cell service and, and, um, um, and that's still a gap, or what do we think? I have seen it, um, this is just a rough guess, probably in only about 2% of the people that wow. we tried to put it in. So we've been very fortunate with this. Yeah, lower than I would have expected. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that is good that's news. Cute. Well, th- yeah. this is a, a fascinating uh, conversation, but unfortunately we're about out of time, so I've got to wish you well and farewell. And uh, But uh, Amy, Amy Bissette and Emily McKenna of Central Vermont Home Health and Hospice have really enjoyed uh, talking with you this morning. Thanks for uh, filling us in and all about telehealth and telemonitoring. It's uh, great talking with you. Thank you.
Thank you. Have a good day. Alrighty, uh, let's see. We're going to go into a CBS News Minute at the top of the hour. We'll be speaking with our good friend Bob Nay just after the break. And, uh, and then Matt Dickinson from Middlebury College on what it means when a president comes down with coronavirus. Exciting things are happening in Warren Village. The Pitcher Inn and Warren Store are under new management. Upgrades and improvements are in the works, maintaining the ambiance and character while breathing new energy and resources into these iconic properties. We are open while practicing all CDC protocols. Come for lunch at our Rockin' Deli and see for yourself what the buzz is all about. Both businesses are hiring, especially seeking fine dining room staff and sales associates for our boutique. Still fun, funky, and friendly, but better than ever. Open daily on Main Street, Warren Village. It's the Dave Graham Show on WDEV. All right, we are back heading into our second hour on this Friday morning, October the 2nd. And uh, as we like to do on Fridays, we talk to Bob Nay, one of our national correspondents. Bob, it's always great talking with you. What's going on this morning? Well, we know what's going on this morning. Uh, Wow. Uh, What's the reaction out there? Bob Nay, are you with me? Hmm. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> we're not hearing, uh, not hearing Bob at this moment. Maybe uh, we need to. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, uh, Bob Nay is a, a regular guest on Friday mornings. We are trying to connect with him and uh, hoping to chat with him about this giant news that broke overnight. I guess via a tweet from the President of the United States that the President Donald J. Trump. And his uh, wife, First Lady Melania Trump, have both tested positive for the coronavirus. And um, this, of course, comes after uh, a week in which uh, the president engaged in uh, several events and meetings and so on with a wide variety of people, uh, which were not, um, shall we say, extremely strong on coronavirus uh, protections and avoidance measures. Um, and let's see if uh, let's see if we got Bob now. Bob May, are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Thanks very oh, much great, for joining great. me this morning. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, wow. Um, and so, what's the what, what is the general reaction around Washington? Are people uh, just uh, kind of in shock about this, or what, what's the what's the, what are, what's the thinking? It's all over the board. Some people have said we knew this was going to happen. He is cautious. Uh, some people have said this will, uh, of course, they go to beyond the human concern. I mean, there are two people uh, happen to be president and uh, first lady. Everybody wishes them well, I would hope. But uh, also, then the political talk, David, is D.C. After all, it's a, you know it's a, a very tough place. But the political talk is: Will this favor him if he can continue his duties as president responsibly? And of course, Biden should be very careful what he says about this. Frankly, you know. Uh, yeah, because it could turn into a sympathy vote. I mean, I hate to talk like this, but this is the political reality of what I'm hearing anyway, you know, around the place. Uh, what will happen, the repercussions of it, and then the debates. And I, I mean, there's a quarantine period and a period where, you know, hopefully they'll say that uh, he's negative, but I don't see where this stops the debates. I, 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 unless he doesn't recover then I, I can't imagine where this stops the debates. And then, of course, I have some friends that are talking about Nancy Pelosi, wonder if Pence gets this. So it's going a wide range, Dave, all over yeah. the place. Right. I mean, there's just a ton of speculation that can be had. Uh, um, w- refresh me, when is the next debate scheduled? Was it two weeks from this Tuesday? 
Yes, it was two weeks, so the incubation period is, you know, what? Of course, he's the president. They're going to test him all the time. You know, I mean, so I believe that's October the 13th. And um, now uh, up here in Vermont, when people, when say people travel to a to a, a high COVID area, they come back and they're expected to quarantine. I think there's a rule here that says that after seven days, um, if you show no symptoms, you can go to get a coronavirus test. If the test comes back negative, you are cleared. Uh, otherwise, you need to go 14 days. Um, and so... I mean, I could. Does that does the same sort of rule apply? I I think it does because I think this is all based on CDC stuff. Would this would the Trumps be operating under the same standard there? I don't think so. You know, the the debate uh, today is what the second, so the debate is in thirteen days, and yep. um, I would assume. Uh, being it is the president, just like when our governor was tested, which, by the mm-hmm. way, he had a false positive, DeWine. And then oh, I remember that, yeah. 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 Well, I'm, I'm assuming that, look, within three or four days they're going to test him again, uh, and nobody can really argue with that. Uh, he's the president. Uh, they, you know, he's, he's sitting in office, and they need to know. So it's very possible that within seven days they would have a idea whether he still has or not. Of course, there's to be seen he is 74. Will he develop more serious symptoms or not? Uh, you know, Boris yeah. Johnson got pretty hospitalized in the United Kingdom. He uh, you know, he got pretty sick. I mean, he, he was hospitalized, as I remember. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and, and, of course, uh, President Trump has some um, underlying uh, uh, health conditions. Uh, he, he is obese, and he, uh, I guess, he has a sort of, uh, I guess, what they call a pre-diabetic uh, type of condition um, with his metabolism. I don't remember the exact terminology for that, but uh, uh, so um, you know, obviously, it's a heightened concern for anybody, especially uh, who is over 65. Uh, that's considered a risk factor. Male versus female, that's considered a risk factor. And then, and then these other other underlying uh, health conditions the president. Uh, uh, has um, obviously are risk factors as well. Uh, you know, we're all hoping for the best. I mean, obviously, I think that you know it needs to be said that we don't want anybody to be suffering uh, from the coronavirus. It's a terrible disease, and uh, um, you know, I, I do think there's a temptation, obviously, for for people who have been critical of the way the president has responded to the virus. You know, just three days ago, he was uh, mocking basically Joe Biden in the debate for wearing a mask too much, I guess, right. or something. Right. Um, and so, you know, there, there's a really powerful temptation, I would say, and maybe a couple friends I've already heard this morning kind of succumbing to it, frankly. Um, but I, I, I think that the, the proper response here really is just to say, you know, uh, let's, let's hope that, uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I've been, if, if I have one fervent wish here, it's, it's for a, an election that is as normal as possible. Uh, it was already showing unfortunate signs of abnormality upcoming, and um, and this doesn't help. It is it is abnormal, Dave. You're right. I mean, like I said, if you and I were forced to sit down and come up with a script, and we actually injected this into the script, they would throw us out of the out of the studio. You know, they would say, yeah. "Are you too crazy?" I mean, yeah. this has been the strangest deal, and now this. Yeah. Uh, now yeah. there's some twists and turns, but you make a good point. I mean, I think that they have to be very careful, especially Joe Biden. Very care, very careful. Let you know other people can say what they want. Uh, Biden needs to say stay at a certain level on this, and uh, yeah, and I, yeah. Think he, I think he will. There's no reason to think he won't. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, I I heard uh, I think it was Al Sharpton on one of the TV channels this morning, uh, who's you know he's been harshly critical of the president. He's a very liberal guy, and 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 basically has not been a friend to the president. Uh, and but I think he put it pretty pretty close to right, where he basically said, you know, obviously you wish the best for speedy recovery for uh-huh. both Trumps and and for Ms. Hicks, Hope Hicks, a close aide to the president who it was announced yesterday is actually ill with the coronavirus. Um, and uh, and I, I didn't initially think that the president had been showing symptoms, but now, just in the last couple of hours, I've heard there are some reports circulating that he actually was indicating not feeling well the last couple of days. Now, whether that's, you know, really coronavirus talking or whether it's something he ate or who knows. But, uh, uh-huh. um, you know, have you heard anything on that front? I mean, is, he, is there any? No. Okay. I, I haven't oh. heard that, but, the, you know, these days, I mean, if you get a flu shot and you have an adverse reaction in your mind, you think it's coronavirus. I mean, anybody that gets sick today, honestly, naturally, if they get a cough, well, in fact, if somebody coughs in the store, everybody's head turns, you know. But if you yeah. have a cough, is it an allergy or coronavirus? So, yeah, if he's had some symptoms, I mean, you never know. And obviously, he's the president. He's not immune uh, to this. Oh. Yeah. Uh, you do wonder whether... Um you know, if he has a, if he has no closer a brush than this, uh, you know, let's let's say he remains asymptomatic, basically, if, if that's the case, if that's where he is right now. Um, and uh, w- w- do you think this will change his behavior going forward? Is he going to start wearing a mask more and urging others to do so as well? Well, you know, that's a really good question that raises a point. Uh, any of us in our lives that have had any uh, health condition that could be serious, which this could be, it's coronavirus, and, yep. and, and regular people, it starts to make you think. I mean, I did after a heart attack, you know, and things like that. So it starts yep. to make you think, and I'm just wondering, will it, you know, change his attitude? I mean, he got it. He, maybe he didn't think he would, but he got it. And yep. uh, if, you know, if, you, if two people are wearing a mask, then your chances of getting it are very, very, very small. Now, if two people aren't wearing a mask, I, I think it's it's like, um, I don't know, one in five or five in 20 or something like that. But, but if they're wearing masks, you know, then the chances are very minimal. <clears throat> so maybe that will influence him a bit. You never know. It might. Yeah. On the, on the other hand, if he, if he remains asymptomatic and he, um, you know, basically or, or, or doesn't have any real ill effects, from this, and and uh, let's hope uh, Melania Trump doesn't either. Um, will that sort of, I don't know, build up an image? I mean, he's already sort of described by some of his close supporters as this kind of uh, Superman who can uh, who can get by on three hours of sleep a night and and all this kind of thing. Um, is is that going to uh, w- would would that just make him even more full of hubris? Well, it well, I think it could be turned to where, not just full of hubris, but I think it could be turned to where people would say he functioned under a certain condition. I think when the president of Brazil got this, he continued to work in office, and at his polls, which were in dismal shape, skyrocketed. So, I mean, it's very possible if, if big if here, Dave, if, Dave would, if uh, Trump would conduct himself you know, very responsibly, continue to work, stay the distance, don't make any jokes, you know, it could affect him in a, a positive way. I mean, mm-hmm. he should be humbled by the fact he has it, frankly. Uh, yeah. You know, not that, he, oh, I overcame it, it was nothing. Uh, it's a serious thing, and it happens to people in this country. And, and if he handles his duties, he's not going to stop. If he handles his duties responsibly, then 
people may look upon him in a little bit different light. Maybe, you know, not that many, but some may. Right. Well, Bob Nay, obviously you have more to watch. Uh, the, the layers keep uh, building it. up <laughs> every time we talk. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, I think we're on a, on a big roller coaster now for at least the next month or two. And uh, But uh, we'll talk again next Friday. In the meanwhile, thank okay. you very much, and st- stay healthy yourself, my friend. I will <laughs> so, try. You too. Okay. Thanks. All righty. I promised in the promotion in the promo uh, back around 8.30 or so that uh, we were going to spe- be speaking with Carol Dunn of the Northern Stage uh, Theater Group in uh, White River Junction about some important news uh, from them as they try to emerge from the coronavirus crisis, but uh, decided we needed to change things up this morning and uh, talk more about about this news that uh, really uh, striking news uh, that broke overnight uh, via a tweet from the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. He and his wife, Melania Trump, First Lady, uh, have both tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, I just saw a headline from CNN a couple moments ago indicating that uh, the President actually is exhibiting mild symptoms of the coronavirus. So apparently he is uh, not going to remain asymptomatic with this. Uh, he's uh, was said to be not feeling very well and uh, obviously uh, don't know exactly what all the details there are just from looking at this headline, but uh, uh, that's an indication that uh, this is going to have some course uh, of activity in the president and uh, let's hope it uh, remains mild and he recovers fully as and we hope that uh, for good health for Melania Trump as well. I mean, obviously, nobody wants anybody to catch this thing and and to get very sick and or even die from it. Obviously, all of these things, though, when you're talking about the leader of the free world, you have to consider these possibilities and what might happen as a result if if uh, if the president were to get very sick and or and or actually pass away. Uh, obviously, not a result anyone wants, but uh, this would be. Um, just uh, something again i think it's it is while we you know we don't want to be ghoulish but we want to be responsible and part of being responsible is to consider um the uh the, the all of the possibilities here and contingencies etc uh, matt dickinson is a political science professor from middlebury college who agreed to come on the air uh, on very short notice this morning to talk about some of this stuff uh, i really appreciate that and matt thank thank you for joining me that's unfortunate we have to do this under these circumstances. Yeah. Um, and, I, I mean, I, I guess a, a, a many things come to mind sort of in this simultaneous jumble, at least to my mind. Maybe you have a, a clearer idea for how to approach all this. But, I I mean, um, let's let's assume the worst for a moment or, or sort of because I think you have to game this out. I, I mean, tell me first, do you think it's even – do you have to game this out? Do you agree with me that we ought to be thinking about what would happen if the president were actually to die from this? A lot of people in his age bracket and risk factors have. Well, certainly there's contingencies for everything, and um, this pushes one of those contingencies a little bit higher in probability, but we're not there yet. We don't know clearly what the severity of the symptoms are, um, but certainly, you know, that's one possibility that you it would be as you say um, prudent to consider so I mean if that were to happen let's say over the course of the next month there's a month to go between now and the election would would Mike Pence automatically be the Republican nominee would they 
consider nominating someone else? Uh, would they start calling for a delay in the election so they could hold a convention to nominate somebody? Or what do you think would unfold here? Well, there's two issues. One is, is the president so incapacitated or, heaven forbid, um, succumbs to this? And again, we, we're pushing well beyond what we know here, which reminds us oh, yeah. the most important yeah. thing the White House can do right now is be transparent. Transparency is key. Because we've had yep. many cases in history where the White House has just covered up the depth of illness. But mm-hmm. one question, do you invoke the 25th Amendment, um, which is a, a constitutional provision that comes into play when the president is incapacitated? In which case, Mike Pence would be our president. It's unclear what the Republican Party would do in terms of um, who would replace Trump on the ticket. My guess is it would be Pence. Um, but there is no clear... Um, provisions that specify within the Republican Party how to handle a situation in which your nominee um, can no longer run for the office within you know 35 days of the election. Yeah, and and I mean, there's nothing in federal law. Obviously, this is this is goes back to kind of a function of individual political parties at that point. Um, and I doubt either of either of the major political parties, Republican or Democratic parties, really have any kind of rules in their in their national committee handbooks or whatever to say here's what we do if our if our nominee is incapacitated or dies uh, in such a brief period before the election. I know of no provisions, and you raise a good point. This isn't simply a question of Trump. There's that potential that Joe Biden, who shared the stage with him for a couple of hours, neither wearing masks. Um, yep. You know, we certainly have to be concerned about that as well. That is true, and I'm and I I would gather that Biden. I mean, I would be surprised, frankly, if he hasn't been tested yet um, this morning uh to to see whether uh he might have the coronavirus as well i mean that you know god forbid but certainly um and i, I don't remember I, I mean i did i didn't how far apart do you think they were on that stage the other night well you know they were supposed to be six feet apart although if you talk to medical professionals and i don't even play one in the movies they will tell yeah. you the six foot distance is an arbitrary distance um yep. that there's no real medical science behind Six is better than five, but not as good as seven. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you know, under certain circumstances, you can spread those droplets 30 feet. And Donald Trump was right. bellowing in his direction for much of that night. Again, I, we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves, but just pointing that out. Bellowing, yes. Uh, that was pretty much the... I hadn't heard that word used yet. That's pretty good. I like that. Um, and, uh, you know, and we haven't spoken since then. I guess uh, we'll get to that in, in a couple of minutes, just to what you thought about the debate and so on. But I, uh, l- let's, let's continue to game this out a little bit because, um, you know, let, let's assume we don't have worst case scenario that the, the, the president, you know, becomes ill. Uh, I mean, he's already exhibiting mild symptoms, according to, uh, now I see headlines popping up from CNN and the New York Times and, um, and uh and and so the 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 president is sidelined for at least i don't know a matter of weeks from the campaign trail for instance uh what does that mean well it means two things one the coronavirus as much as the trump administration would like to shift the discussion on the campaign trail now becomes first and foremost the issue of the campaign and that's mm-hmm. not good for president trump because by all sort of objective Measures, um, and we can debate on how much this is to blame for Trump's administration's handling of it, but it has not gone well uh, in the United States. So that does not right. help his reelection chances. 
The second issue is it changes the dynamics of the campaign. He thrives on these large uh, open-air rallies, and he will not be able to do that for a couple weeks. We have three more debates scheduled. Um, he will not be able, probably, um, to uh, debate at least the, the incoming one. Um, and it also affects you. Again, I'm not a doctor. Uh, I can speak from experience knowing people who have COVID. It is not a debilitating disease in, well, unless you're hospitalized in the sense that you're bedridden, but you, it comes and goes in waves. And there are periods within a 14-day period in which you feel fine. And mm -hmm. then there are hours within a day in which you cannot do anything. So it's yeah. going to affect his ability to campaign, uh, depending on the course and the severity of the disease. Yeah, and that's 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 got to be intensely frustrating, especially if you're somebody who's on a mission like this. I mean, because he's gonna have, he's gonna have a morning when he wakes up and he and he thinks he I feel fine today. I want to get out and you know go back to Pennsylvania or Minnesota or something. Um, and and then by the time you get arranged Air Force One to get him out there, he's feeling really horrible again and can't actually stand up and talk to people as he normally wants to do. So um, exactly. that kind of that kind of yo-yo experience is just I mean for a normal person, uh, you know I've had illnesses like that myself in the past and 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 it's really really frustrating. Uh, and and for somebody who's campaigning for the presidency of the United States, that, that take that the frustration of a normal person and multiply it maybe by a hundred or something. Wow. Uh, hey, uh, Matt Dickinson is my guest. He's a political science professor at Middlebury College, and uh, we're going to go to a bottom of the hour uh, CBS News Minute, a couple words from our sponsors, be back with more with our conversation with Matt Dickinson in just a couple minutes, folks. Exciting things are happening in Warren Village. The Picture Inn and Warren Store are under new management. Upgrades and improvements are in the works, maintaining the ambiance and character while breathing new energy and resources into these iconic properties. We are open while practicing all CDC protocols. Come for lunch at our Rockin' Deli and see for yourself what the buzz is all about. Both businesses are hiring, especially seeking fine dining room staff and sales associates for our boutique. Still fun, funky, and friendly, but better than ever. Open daily on Main Street, Warren Village. It's the Dave Graham Show on WDEV FM and AM. Going to be getting back to our conversation with uh, political scientist Matt Dickinson of Middlebury College just a moment after I tell you, remind you that just after 11 o'clock this morning, we're going to be going live special coverage on WDEV FM and AM to uh, the regular news conference that happens with Governor Phil Scott and other top state officials talking about the state's response to the coronavirus crisis. Uh, obviously, I know the governor will be getting a couple of questions or more about uh, the uh, announcement from President Donald Trump that he and his wife, First Lady Melania Trump, both have tested positive for the coronavirus. Um, but I'm sure the uh, governor also has other things on the agenda of what to talk about today uh, from the state perspective on managing the uh, coronavirus crisis here as it uh, continues into the fall here in Vermont and throughout, really, throughout the uh, nation and the world. It's resurgent in many places around the world right now, and that's not good news. Um, so we are hoping to continue to keep it at bay here in Vermont, certainly, and would love to see it recede elsewhere, including at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Let's get back to uh, my conversation with uh, Matt Dickinson of Middlebury College. Uh, Matt, uh, do you, do, we were talking about sort of how uh, 
the scenario might play out here uh, in a uh, in a, this bizarre situation. It was already looking like a really unusual and bizarre election, frankly, with all the talk of mail-in ballots and the government, the government, the uh, excuse me, the president uh, claiming mail-in ballots are fraudulent and uh, questions about whether the president would accept the results if it looked like his opponent. Democrat former Vice President Joe Biden might appear to be victorious, uh, et cetera. Um, and so now we have layered on that, that this announcement that with a month ago before the election, the President and First Lady Melania Trump uh, do seem to have the, uh, have the coronavirus. Uh, yikes. Uh, we are really sorry. To, I'm personally sorry to see that development. I'm sure most other Americans, I'm sure, are. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I think they're also, uh, frankly, maybe a bit of, uh, I don't know, a bit of gloating or something in some circles, especially on the left, because um, people have been very critical of the way the president has uh, responded to the coronavirus crisis. And uh, I mean, do you think there's a temptation out there for sort of a some, I don't know, I told you so or something. I think we're seeing it already on social media sites. Um, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's an understandable reaction that some on the left um, are going to politicize this for political gain, and some on the right are, you know, going to also try to do it um, in, as, as well as they can. So that's to be expected in, in a, a political situation like this. Yeah. The question is whether it filters down into the perceptions of the vast the majority of people who do not hang on everything that cable news says. Yeah, they wake yeah. up in, in their news and they say, huh, you know, the president has coronavirus. What, what does this make me think about in terms of my vote? Do I want to vote by mail? Who do I vote for? That's what we're really interested in seeing here. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether, whether, it, whether this changes people's votes. I mean, obviously... You know, some of this depends on on I think uh, how sick he gets and that's that kind of thing. But uh, it's just uh, it's such a weird and unsettling uh, kind of a situation to be. And certainly, uh, it looks like the financial markets are are pretty unsettled by it as well so far today. Uh, big dips and and on on Wall Street and so on. Uh, hey, let's bring in a listener who's checking in with us. Uh, I believe it is Cat from uh, is it Orange or Washington, Orange County somewhere? Orange County. Okay. Good morning. Hi. A few comments. Mm-hmm. Fake news. Fake news. Fake news. Sympathy vote. Uh, opposition can't say anything negative now. Analogy. Little boy has the ball. Little boy losing the game. So little boy takes the ball and goes home. Sits in his room. Number two analogy. Little boy doesn't want to go to school because there's rules. Little boy doesn't want to go to school because he has to answer to somebody. Mm -hmm. Little boy doesn't want to go to school because people are kind of down and humiliated him, maybe. Maybe. So little boy gets a tummy ache Hmm. and has to stay home from school. Uh, yeah. Well, let me, let me stop you there. I get where you're going. But, I mean, basically the bottom line is here, you don't believe that the president has the coronavirus? Not entirely, no. And hmm. we have White House doctor. Who is the White House doctor? Oh, HIPAA laws. Can't check into this stuff. Leak mm-hmm. a little bit of illness out. 
get better all of a sudden when the sympathy vote is coming in really strong. Yes, yes. Those are my hmm. comments. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, hopefully, uh, we can even go a little further, and uh, ho- hopefully not, because I would never ever wish this. But oh, maybe the children get sick too. Big sympathy vote. Big sympathy vote. Yep. Hmm. That's my that's my opinion. Thank you okay. for listening. Alrighty, thanks for the call. Uh, I hope you're wrong, but thank you for the call. Uh, yeah, that's what we don't need is for, you know, j- just an extra layer of uh, counterfactuality and, uh, and uncertainty about whether anybody's telling the truth and so on layered on top of this. What do you, what, uh, what do you think, Matt? Matt, is it, should that just be added on as the extra frosting on this crazy cake? Well, it does remind us that there will be conspiracies layered into conspiracies as a result of this. There already have been. Yeah. Um, that tend to appeal to the strong partisans on both sides. But it does mm-hmm. drive home the point that it is crucial, and history tells us this, that the president and those around him are as transparent as possible. What are the symptoms? Um, how many times was he tested? What's the contact tracing? I mean, one of the things we have to be aware of here is when you work in the West Wing, it is a very cramped location, very small offices, ventilates an old building, ventilation's not great. So as much as we're concerned about the president, um, the whole leadership team here um, is potentially at risk of getting this. So you don't need to weave conspiracy theories to understand the potential severity of this. Yeah, I, and and I mean, I'm tempted to break out Occam's razor here. You know, the uh, the old uh, philosopher tool of thinking where you're trying to find the simplest solution to uh, to every problem. Uh, obviously, it doesn't work in every instance, but um, uh, I I actually I'm hoping that we can assume that um, when all of these national media reporters, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, CNN, you know, uh, Fox, MSNBC, all the rest of them are, are working their butts off all around the West Wing, all around Capitol Hill, talking to every source who will talk to them, uh, trying to figure out what is going on, that there will be some critical mass of truth-telling, at least even on background and off the record and so on and so forth, that where the some vaguely accurate message, even if it's not perfect in all details, uh, gets emitted from that, from that morass. <laughs> and, and that we actually do have a reasonable understanding of, of what is going on in something as huge as the idea that the president and first lady have the coronavirus um, and that others around them may be at risk as well. Um, uh, I, I, I just I don't have I don't have any inkling whatsoever. There's not a bone in my body that says this is all you know big fiction to try to generate some sympathy vote or something. I I, I mean maybe I'm being naive or uh, you know Pollyannish here or something. But uh, um, I don't know. Do you, do you have any 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 sympathy for uh, that last caller there and her perspective on this thing, Matt? No, uh, that's not the first place that I'm going with my uh, level of concern. There yeah. is, however, the point you make, the transparency starts at the top. And enterprising yep. reporters, as you know from your experience, can only go so far if there's limited sources out there. And, yep. you know, there have been instances in the recent past, Ronald Reagan's um, shooting, for instance, in which the White House is not fully forthcoming um, they they tried to control the news as much as possible. So I certainly think we're going to get a story here 
whether it is the full story regarding the severity of the symptoms. And, you know, I'm not sure, frankly. Um, that's far a cry from saying, you know, he's manufacturing a disease that he doesn't have for political gain. No, I'm, I'm not going there. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's try another caller here. We have uh, Jack from Middlebury checking in. Good morning, Jack. Uh, good morning, David. Uh, I'm thinking of this as a blessing in disguise. I don't wish anybody the virus, but now that even the president, who's the most protected person in the United States, can get it, maybe more people will begin to wear masks. Uh, we've already been told that wearing masks for a month or two could cut the, the virus down to nothing or nearly nothing, and uh, I'd like to know whether Professor Dickinson thinks this is uh, just a blessing in disguise or a national tragedy. Okay, well, thank you for the call. I think that's a very uh, well-summed-up question there. Matt, what do, you, what do you think? Do you think that there is a blessing in disguise here in terms of maybe people, uh, you know, taking a lesson from this, frankly? Anytime something happens um, to somebody as visible as the president, it, it has a... a sort of an effect that on people who normally will not engage with these issues are now going to engage in it in just conversations with their people. So, yeah, I mean, partly it depends on how the president himself reacts. This is a chance for him to recalibrate his administration's uh, response to this. Mask is certainly one part of it. I mean, there is an ongoing debate even within the scientific community about the role of masks and the types of masks you should use. But, um, you know, this is an opportunity. It's a teaching moment. And the degree to which uh, the lessons are learned depends in part on the teacher. So uh, I do think yeah. it, it is a chance. You cannot evade the importance of the coronavirus for this election. And if I'm Donald Trump, I try to turn it to my advantage by becoming teacher-in-chief. You know, I mean, it's conceivable he could do that. Ima- imagine later this month he is recovered from the symptoms he apparently is is starting to accumulate now. Uh, and he comes out and he makes a speech and he says... Folks, you're gonna, you're not going to believe I'm saying this, but I, Donald J. Trump, was wrong. Uh, I've learned an important lesson here, uh, and from my personal experience now, I can share with you that this really, this thing really is, uh, you know, out to get us, and we have to be taking every step we can against it, including all of these steps that my good friend Dr. Anthony Fauci has been recommending since March or whatever, you know, and. Uh, uh, and we need to take this seriously, and, I, and we can't minimize it. And uh, I just went through, you know, two weeks of hell, and I don't want anybody else to have to experience this, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that might win him the election. Well, it would certainly, um, I think it would put the best possible light on a very unfortunate situation, not just in a, a medical level, but a political level. Um, you know, and we have to face up to the fact that this has political implications. So, yeah, I just think... <laughs> You know, when the public is listening, that's your opportunity to teach. Um, Otherwise, prior to this time, the mask debate sort of fell on deaf ears for most people. Now it's a a possibility here that, and it's not just the mask. Listen, this is a guy, um, I'm going to take some issue with the caller. This actually is a guy who was probably most exposed to, uh, just because of the nature of his job, um, to people who had potentially had it. But he was tested on a daily basis uh, and still got it. So it is a reminder right. that the virus does not care who you are. It does not care. Um, and we should all be aware of that. You know, you actually, this is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but you actually raise an important point when you say he was tested on a daily basis. 
um, you know, if I were tested on the coronavirus a, m- a week ago and came up negative, uh, that that might have made me feel good last Friday. But by this Friday, who knows, right? I mean, right. that's that's another another aspect of this thing, which is absolutely maddening. Which is that you know it can basically show up at any time, and if you're just getting tested and being tested negative, really doesn't that uh, having that card punched the, the card doesn't last very long. <laughs> It's like the old tape on Mission Impossible. It'll self-destruct in five seconds or something. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's just a and and it's very very tough reality that this illness is out there and and lurking, uh, which is um, now in, in terms of the uh, Supreme Court nomination, we haven't talked about that yet, and uh, you know th- there have been some face-to-face meetings with. Uh, between folks at the White House and people in the United States Senate, uh, also with involving uh, Amy Coney Barrett, the nominee the president announced just a week ago for to fill this seat vacated by the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, where are we going on that? Well, the immediate concern, obviously, is her health. Um, you know, if you're going backwards, symptoms usually appear five to seven days after um, you're infected. So. That's right. When he is standing next to her, Donald Trump is standing next to her, mm-hmm. announcing um, her nomination. Uh, it means that she will go into quarantine. Um, I think most of the interviewing of the Senate was going to be remote anyhow. I don't think in the long term this is going to have any impact, assuming, knock on wood, she remains healthy. Or even yeah. if she gets the disease, as long as it's not severe. I don't think this affects the trajectory of the nomination. I still think the Republicans will try to get this done in a vote prior to November 3rd. Yeah, prior to November 3rd, which basically means in the next few weeks here. And uh, let's, uh, you know, we, we don't want to see a see a see um, any kind of a uh, outbreak in, in the Senate. I mean, you know, because, I mean, they're having these contacts between the White House and, the, and particularly Senate Republicans as they talk about the... Uh, this nomination and and try to try to you know sort of grease the skids for the for the confirmation and so on and so forth um and this is remember uh, it's not just the white house but if you think back to the the speech the president gave at the uh, at his uh, convention or whatever that was on the, the lawn of the white house just a month or so a little over a month ago there wasn't a lot of mask wearing or social distancing at that event, um, this is a whole sort of culture where those practices haven't been in place very much. And uh, I mean, should some of these senators be quarantining based on their meetings with people like Mark Meadows and so on? Well, this is why contact tracing is so crucial. And you know, the medical community will tell you that it is important to just keep track of who you saw so that you can work backwards and notify these people. Yeah. Um, and again, we don't know how many senators have been in personal contact with uh, the president, but certainly there has been more than one. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's an issue, too. Um, you know, and that's not just the Senate. It is uh, the nature of President Trump's job is daily meetings with dozens of individuals. Oh, yeah. Um, and, yeah. and they try as best they can to test them. But, you know, I would not be surprised that this is not the last case that we hear about in that circle. I I concur. I, I and and again, you know, nobody's uh, nobody's rooting for this. I mean, I, you know, I, I but I I just I have a sense that 
this may be a bigger problem than we know about yet. Of course, we've known about it for you know a grand total of, in my case, about six hours since I got up this morning. So uh, it's um, it is uh, you know who knows? Wow! I mean, and and just this breaking news that we see where the uh, president. Uh, uh, this announcement just in the last hour, really, that he has symptoms. That's a big, big development right there. In in addition to all the all the weirdness going on uh, with this election, um, I, uh, I I think we have to add just a probably a bigger layer of weirdness than any of the others we've seen yet, and we've seen some. Speaking of which, uh, Matt D- Matt Dickinson, I wanted to ask you about a couple of the other things that have been going on previous to this news, which uh, include this uh, this word uh, that the president was saying as of, I guess, last week and has pretty much doubled down on it since then, that he may not accept the results of the election if he loses. Um, and uh, what are your thoughts about that assertion? Well, I think it's, you know, just speaking from pure self-interest, it does not help him. Um, assuming, uh, again, that there is some controversy, we could see um, the controversy in vote counting in certain states. We've seen this in 2000. We saw this in 1876. There's a process in place for resolving these. I have no doubt that by the time the next president needs to be inaugurated, which is not till January of next year, the mm-hmm. issue of who won will be resolved. I just think we're missing the point here if we think Donald Trump is going to barricade himself in the Oval Office and nobody can remove him. That's not an issue. I think it's it's a red herring. But raising controversy about election results, we know what that does to the incoming president. I mean, Trump himself experienced two years of concern about the legitimacy of his election. It's not a good yep. thing to be doing for the stability of the democracy to uh, cast doubt on, on the election. It's just, I just think it's not what a president of the United States should be doing. Um, and, uh, you know, about the mail count, vote by mail in a purely partisan um, analysis of what we know, it's actually more likely to be favorable to Donald Trump and to hurt him because the people we worry about who vote by mail are those who spoil their ballots. And that typically is lower educated individuals who don't follow the rules as well, and they're voting disproportionately Democrat. So on two levels, it's just a dumb thing for him to be saying. Yeah, that's, that is, um, those are both interesting points, and I, I, I guess the, um, the uh, other thing I have to ask you about also is is his performance in the debate on Tuesday night. Uh, did he did he go in there sort of with a plan, um, like you know some kind of a school kid saying I'm going to go into my next class and just totally disrupt the thing and and make the teacher have a miserable day or or whatever? Um, was that it or was he just reacting out of instinct or what was going on with him? I think he went in with a plan to demonstrate um, to be on the, uh, the attack. He's he's losing in the polls, and it just as typically is the case with Donald Trump. He lacked the discipline to stick to moderate the plan, and he just went. You know, he just allowed him, um, his emotions to overcome him, and it just took it to the extreme. And again, I don't think it helped him. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that he would have gained any votes from that performance I, I, because uh, it really was just. Uh, I mean, beyond obnoxious, uh, and and I I didn't think that Joe Biden knocked it out of the park by any means. It wasn't like I thought, wow, what a brilliant performance by him. But I I, I guess, um, you know, and, and he sort of reacted a couple times in ways I wish he hadn't. Uh, 
but um, but for the most part, he remained kind of steady on his feet and wasn't completely bowled over as as much as, frankly, I think Chris Wallace, the moderator, was. Hey, I think the issue going into that debate, if there was any issue, was was Joe Biden's cognitive capacity and whether there be any signs of decline. And I think he clearly um, cleared that hurdle. There was no evidence of that. Yeah, he lost his temper and said unpresidential things, but it just shows he's human. I mean, uh, yeah. this was a verbal onslaught he was responding to. Um, <laughs> and frankly, I think all of us would have responded in a similar way. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I can't. I don't know how I would have responded. That, uh, but you know, that, that, that is just—it's uh, a very, very uh, tough, uh, tough situation that that Biden found himself in. All of a sudden, do um, you think Trump will change it up in the next debate if he's there? I think so. I think uh, you know, incumbent presidents um, in the past several debates have always had a bad first debate. They're just out of practice. Um, yeah. Where their opponent has just gone through twenty debates. He'll be better the second time around, and his advisors will tell him you need to be more disciplined. Well, that's, uh, let's, uh, let's hope so. Let's hope he is more disciplined. All right. Well, hey, that's about all the time we have. Matt Dickinson of Middlebury College, a political science professor there. Thank you very much for joining me this morning. My pleasure, Dave. All righty. Uh, and folks out there, uh, stay tuned now for uh, Governor Phil Scott or the top state officials on the coronavirus, their regular news conference. Tuesdays and Fridays, and uh, tune in again to our show Monday morning. Meanwhile, have a great weekend, everybody.